0: Have you checked out our YouTube channel yet? You'll find hundreds of videos on everything from analysis of the hottest fintech headlines to our predictions for the future of banking. There's tons of exciting content in the pipeline, including our brand new six-part video series, Decoding Banking as a Service. Head to bit.ly forward slash 11FS YouTube to subscribe for instant updates.
1: Hi everyone, my name is Nigel Walsh and welcome to episode 81 of InsureTech Insider. We are still recording remotely, of course, like the rest of the world, and we'd love to know what guests you think we should get on the show. Do get in contact by sending us an email to podcasts at 11fs.com if you know someone we should get on the show or you'd like to be on the show yourself. In today's show, we'll be discussing the most interesting news in the insure tech and insurance space from across the globe. There's no Sarah today with me, but I am joined by some awesome guests. First up, Anthony Grosso, SVP of Global Marketing and Communications at EIS. Anthony, how are you doing today?
2: Oh, I'm doing great, Nigel. Great to be here. Uh, you know, looking forward to talking a little in tech, and maybe we can mix in a little core tech while we're at it.
1: I knew you were going to do it straight away. You've <laughs> gone straight for the jugular. I, I'm actually admiring, not that our guests can see it, but I'm admiring your sunny backdrop because in London, it is pitch black and cold. So thank you for bringing the sunshine. Anthony, tell us more about EIS and CoreTech now that you've mentioned it. <laughs> uh,
2: well, EIS is a, a core insurance platform that's built for the insure tech world. And, and so what that means is that we're built on the same technologies. We share the same DNA as insure tech. And so hence the term CoreTech, which is our little play on on the word there. A core insurance system is built for the insure tech world. And but what does this do for our customers? Well, it allows them to create fully connected ecosystems with InsurTechs. It allows them to drive innovation through test and learn, uh, but it also allows them to scale, to scale up to enterprise level with 20 million customer records and over two and a half million transactions per day. Uh, and this all together is w- w- what we encompass as a core tech technology platform for insurers.
1: Fantastic. You, you know already... As we've known each other for quite a while, I'm a massive fan of of core platforms. So uh, great to have you on. Uh, next up, we've got Sean Harper, co-founder at Keen. How are you doing today, Sean? Hey, I'm great. Uh, thanks for having me. Did I say that correctly? Kin, Keen? How do we pronounce it?
3: It's Kin. Yes, like Kin, like family. Uh, you know, so we're a, a homeowners insurance
1: company. So who would you rather have insuring your home uh, than your family? That's a very very nice play on words. Uh, t- tell us a little bit more about Kin.
3: Kin was started about four years ago. Uh, we're built from scratch, uh, insurance company. Uh, you know, we insure homes and in other buildings in, uh, you know, in the United States. Uh, we, we're focused on uh, areas where homeowners have a little bit of a harder time getting insurance. Uh, for example, areas that are fire exposed or uh, hurricane exposed, which actually is, is the majority of the country now and increasing. Uh, you know the, the way that we're able to do that is uh, you know we're we're direct to consumer, and uh, we're built on a really low cost structure with really modern technology. So uh, you know, the, the customers like us a lot. We have we have really good uh, like reviews and net promoter score and all of that. Uh, and uh, you know we're we're pretty pumped about
1: solving this problem for users. Love it. I love. I love hearing people say our customers love us because you don't often get that in insurance. Uh, and last but by no means least, a warm welcome to Sabine. A welcome back to you, should I say, to Sabine van der Linden, co-founder, CEO, and managing partner of Alchemy Crew. Welcome back, Sabine. How are you?
4: I'm me well. Thank you for having me, Nigel.
1: Tell us all about Alchemy.
4: Alchemy is doing very well. We have been uh, working um, for the past few months on a big topic actually in insurance, which is sustainability. And we've been looking at that problem from a life and health viewpoint, as well as commercial uh, insurance viewpoint. So doing well and um, still involved with helping ventures partner invest um, and, you know, acquiring. So we are looking at helping big companies learn to corporate innovate and venture with uh, the best partners in the world.
1: Fantastic. Great to have you back on. Well, thank you all for joining me. Let's get on with the show. Our first story from Bloomberg is all about wildfire risk leaves Californians without homeowners insurance Sean, this could not have your name closer to it, it feels like. Um, so from Bloomberg we talk about uh, wildfire risks leaves Californians without homeowners insurance. An increasing number of Californians have been dropped by their regular carriers after years of devastating wildfires that have cost billions of dollars. Of course, as a as a non-resident, we see it on the news and we see the devastating effects day in day out, um, which is terrible to see. This has turned home insurance into a labyrinth quest for residents in the California to leaving them expensive bare bones coverage, which sounds pretty damn miserable. The insurance crisis underscores that the market is trying to handle risks that escalated in recent years, driven by what the California governor has deemed to be a climate emergency. Insurance can no longer shoulder the losses at current prices, and therefore either have to raise rates or exclude it entirely. With insurance leaving the market, residents have to turn to backup options like the FAIR plan, which is an insurance pool created by the state after a bad bushfires and riots in the 1960s. On top of this, California has experienced a housing crisis, with housing prices rising and forcing people out into rural areas that are even more at risk of wildfires. I mean, I don't even know, don't even know where to start here. Sean, do you want to kick us off on this? This this sounds like a whole collection of issues all going down at once and just about to explode.
3: Yeah, it's complicated. And really at the core of it. Is uh, the ability of the insurance industry, and that includes insurance companies and insurance regulators, to adapt to change? The world is changing very quickly now, uh, arguably more quickly than it has in the past, and that includes demographics, includes the economy, and unfortunately includes the climate. Uh, You know, it's it is uh, unrealistic to expect that the level of fires will go back to the previous levels. And that just means that insurance is going to be more expensive it doesn't it doesn't mean that people won't be able to get insurance at any price, but it means that insurance will be more expensive uh, you know, and, and, and one issue that sort of compounds this or exacerbates it is the legacy insurance companies these are companies who have been in business for a hundred years and often do not have very good technology they might have a core system that's 30 40 years old or you know, it's sort of a legacy system, like a guide wire or something. It's very hard for them to change, uh, you know, p- uh, attack quickly. And you also have a regulatory regime that makes it really difficult to, uh, for, for newcomers. You know, it, it took us, you know, years and hundreds of millions of dollars to actually even start an insurance company. Uh, so it's, you know, those two things, you have a hard problem because, well, New people with new approaches can't come into the market easily to fill the gap. And the old companies have a hard time adapting to the new risks. And so what happens? Well, the old guys leave the market. Nobody's there to come in.
1: And consumers are left in large. So this sounds like a perfect opportunity for InsurTech, right? And this is, this is why Kin exists? It can be. I mean, the, the, when things
3: change, it's hard for old companies to change. And so you need new companies to come in. And that, that would be InsurTech, right? Insurance is not seen a lot of new competition really ever, right? I mean, you know that, That's evidenced by the really advanced age of most of the companies. Uh, it's still really hard, right? If you think about property insurance in the US, I think there's like, you know, maybe five uh, sort of full stack uh, insure tech competitors like us. Uh, that's it, it, not very many actually, relative to the size of the legacy industry. So I, I do think it's a really big opportunity. Um, you know, and, and and we can solve a lot of things. You know, like for one example, uh, you know, the risk has increased, but also the amount of money that's spent servicing and originating the policies has actually gone up really significantly for property insurance at a time when the price of most financial services is decreasing, right? Like you can trade a share of stock for free now, you can do a cross-border payments transaction for a couple bucks. It used to be like tens of dollars, yet you see the expense ratio of legacy insurance companies uh, staying the same actually not going down which is which is bad it sounds bad but it's actually even worse when you consider that the policy sizes are increasing so customers are paying not they're paying more not only because the underlying risk has increased but also because insurance companies have not not been able to become more efficient over time like all the rest of financial services has uh, so it's it's time for us to catch up and and you know Eliminate that part or reduce it and help customers get a better
1: deal. That's some wake up call, right? Sabine, I mean, you've seen thousands of of insurtechs over the years, probably more than anyone I know. Um, What's your take on these where you've got insurtechs that are starting to address niches in the market um, or even in the reinsurance community looking to, to solve some of these things in a slightly different way?
4: You know, as you highlighted, Nigel, um, insure I mean, I think is key in, in our environment. So when you look at the latest numbers I was sharing, um, so to date, I think the market raised 6.3 billion. And uh, whilst we think that the sector didn't do very well this year, it's doing OK uh, for sure, less than last year, which I think the numbers were around 8 billion, but we are doing okay. And so when you look at where the money went, it went into probably um, the more mature businesses. But as we know, the lack of IPO raised $350 million a few days ago. So, uh, that is showing that the client, the consumer is looking for a different type of position. So what I see is that um, this year, uh, a few. Legacy, well, a you a large number of legacy insurers have probably posed to define strategy um, because um digitization is key part of innovation. And um if you have not done it before um February, then you had a little bit of a problem during the past um few months. And so what we are seeing is probably a more um heightened interest in solutions which would matter in the um, next year. So wh- whether you compare um, things which are happening right now here um, in Europe or in the US, a big interest in uh, home insurance propositions. Now, when you look at it in the frame of uh, the topic you are addressing, which is climate change, whether um, what you are seeing is a consumer is aware of what they are buying a little bit more and want to the insurer to offer them product and services which are relevant to them.
3: Yeah, I think um, one one area where a lot of exciting work is going on is and and we you know we do a lot in in catastrophe areas and traditionally that's always been hurricanes. And one area that's really helped uh, people get hurricane insurance is that there are a bunch of new models that understand and can quantify the the risk. Right? Not just the expected value of the risk, but also the uh, you know variance and correlation. And there there really don't exist the same level of fire models, although there are many really interesting new models and data products out there for fire. Uh, so I, I do think that'll be important once that comes and and it's also important that companies insurance companies adopt those and that the regulators allow the adoption of those and allow them to be priced in. Uh, because that's ultimately, if you can understand the risk, you can come up with an accurate price for it. I think, you know, right now everyone's sort of struggling with the ambiguity.
4: When we don't have wildfire in you, in Europe. And so the interesting thing when you start comparing uh, the risk we are dealing with, whether you are comparing, you know, the wildfire in, um, in, in California or some of the other risks we are affecting with, Right? It is about really understanding how to measure risks, and that's actually how to find new method to actually define how you price that risk and how you protect consumer in the long term as well. Well, let, let, me
1: bring Anthony, let, let me bring Anthony in here because I think actually what you've both alluded to is technology. And I saw Anthony's face light up when Sean went, they're too slow. We haven't got the right technology. And I'm hearing Anthony bursting out of the scenes to go, you've got to move faster. How, how does technology solve it?
2: I'll take it from both both ends on this one. I'll tell you what it's like to live in a high peril zone. So I've got that nice picture in my background uh, at the ocean that was t- live picture just taken two weeks ago. But the privilege of living in the southeast, right on the ocean, is hurricane season. Right, I live in a flood zone, so I moved from the northeast when I moved south. Uh, and and all of the insurers when I went to go buy my insurance, all of the, the long list of insurance companies that I could get a quote from online. This list was now very small. All the insurance companies I was used to dealing with were no longer on that list. So I had to really find some niche insurers. Uh, And then there's flood insurance. So flood insurance on top of my homeowner's insurance is 20% premium, and it doesn't cover the full value of my house, right? It it will cover about 60% of market value. But, you know, that's, that's the choice that, that, you know, people living in places like this have to make. Now, the really good part is, is as a tech company for this space, I've been taught, you know, with some of those, uh, uh, companies, Sean, that, that you've been talking about with the, the, the insure tech startup carriers with the new models, uh, being able to more hyper, uh, uh, Identify risk zones and the the actual costs for claims. Uh, they've actually been in contact with us, so we're actually in, in discussions with them. And I'm I have uh, uh, more than one interest in actually helping them bring that technology to market because I you know I could definitely use an insure tech. Uh, insurance company that can underwrite based off of this peril very accurately, so I can get the coverage that I need and live in the uh, locations that I that I want to live. But yeah, the, the current in, uh, uh, insurers out there, their way of handling it is well, let's just get out of that market because they can't they can't cover it. Do you think that's a cop
1: out on the insurance part? I mean, as a consumer, never mind as an industry advocate or supporter, but as a consumer, would you prefer? to have all your coverage from one place? Do you want to go to Kin and get, or whoever, and get uh, hurricane, fire, flood, and all the other things, accidental damage, red wine, you name it, do you want all that? For, do you expect that from one place?
3: Yes. Uh, nobody wants to think about insurance. I mean, maybe the people on this call do, uh, or listening to this podcast, but your ordinary person is really trying to minimize the amount of time they think about insurance. And so the more simple it can be made and the more these coverages can be combined. And this is actually a problem in the industry because homeowners insurance used to cover floods and now it doesn't. It so things are being excluded as new perils come uh, or perils increase, which is is inevitable and it's inevitable everywhere. Uh, you know, the, the climate is just getting more variable. Uh, carriers are actually pulling coverages out of the traditional policies and also leaving the markets that need them the most.
1: Uh, I'm with you. So there's a protection gap. And actually my last question before we move on is, is kind of linked to this. You, you talk about Sean, people removing coverages. So you keep affordability. Anthony, you talked about, you know, this is the choice you have to make if you live down here and you've got to pay these premiums, but what if you don't have that choice and you've got to move out of, you know, we're talking about California here where you've got to move out of the expensive areas into more rural areas. If you haven't got that choice, is there an opportunity for insurtech to partner with some of the public or federal bodies or state bodies to provide a better product at a lower cost base to consumers i think there's some
3: opportunity for it you know i alluded to being more efficient being able to return that cover that, that money to the user but there is like an underlying thing here which is that the weather has become more variable uh and you also have a legal environment in a lot of places in most places that actually inflates the cost because you end up with frivolous claims. Like I had a guy in front of my house last week uh, solicited my dog ran away and he found my dog. Uh, she didn't run away. She wandered into the front yard. He was petting her and he, he then solicited me to make a fraudulent uh, uh, hail claim on my roof. Uh, <laughs> so, so there, th- these are big problems uh, and, and there's not anything that InsureTech can do to eliminate uh, wildfires or stop hurricanes. Uh, we can help the world react to them better, you know, especially if if uh, you know, the legal and regulatory regime facilitates that. But the reality is insurance is going to be more expensive and harder to get. Uh, and and that's not anything that we can fix.
1: We've touched on so much. That's fascinating. the look, uh, the one thing I'm pleased about is that none of us are arguing whether climate change exists or not. So on that chewy note, I will move on. Um, to our next story, which is equally worrying given one of these new threats that's arising, right? So uh, here's one uh, on global phishing, and it's quite scary. Sean, you said no one cares about insurance about the people on the call. Well, 14% of insurance workers failed the global phishing test. So this is um, a phishing test uh, uh, according to the latest edition of Terra Nova Security and the Phishing Benchmark Global Report. It's based on user interaction with simulated phishing attacks and revealed a substantial year-over-year increase in participating end-user click rates. The results reveal that nearly 20% of employees were quick to click on a phishing email link, which is a spike from 11% posted in last year's report. Now, I find that quite scary, having my own 11-year-old son send me a picture earlier saying, Dad, is this the thing I can click on or not? So we've almost taught and educated them to go, hey, if you don't recognize this from mum or dad, just ask us first. But this is insurance workers we're talking about. Um, One of the things that's affected this is the pandemic, and that's resulted in the spike of the adoption of remote work policies which has increased the effect of technical data protection measures. And we're seeing this absolutely everywhere right now. The report also highlights that 67% of those who clicked on phishing emails submitted their logon credentials. I'm scared to read any more in case it gets worse. Who, who wants to kick us off on this? What, what's your take? We're all sat here working at our home offices respectively. Have you seen an increase in uh, phishing attacks or otherwise to, to
2: you as individuals or to the organizations? Uh, I can start. Um, I, I think they've gotten so. I, I'm actually surprised. First of all, I'm actually surprised that insurance was the lowest. <laughs> uh, I thought it would be actually you know much higher than that uh, because it, your typical insurance workers you know very reflective of the uh, of the uh, uh, economy, but. Uh, these attacks have gotten really, really advanced. And I received one, um, and it was a direct email to me and, and it was, uh, supposedly from our, our head of security. So it was actually quite good. Uh, I thought I did the right thing by responding and saying, okay, Hey, it, you know, is this real? And, and a reply came back, uh, said, yes, it's real. And, uh, And and I know the the person I was emailing and that's not the type of response that he would have given. So I set up a new email, sent it to him uh, and and asked about it. And so what they do now as well Is they have uh, artificial intelligence on the receiving end, so that if you do respond with a question or a comment, it's going to give you a response back, like you're actually interacting with somebody, like a chatbot, which I found was really fascinating. I'm not at all surprised at the the high number of people that once you click through, you've already, you know, you've already taken for uh, granted, or you've already accepted that it's a legitimate email, you click through. So I'm not at all surprised at the number who filled out their credentials, right? Um, And no longer are the days where we're receiving these spam emails, and it's, you know, some broken English or something, and where you can clearly tell it's it's wrong. These are really high tech, uh, high, you know, getting through the internet or through the uh, company's uh, uh, network through an employee is one of the you know, I hate to say it is one of the top ways that that um, companies break into networks.
1: Without a doubt, Sh- Sean, are you are you seeing similar things? Are you seeing people mimic what's going on at Keen? Or
3: yeah, I think uh, anecdotally there's been an increase. I I always think it's funny because they send them from me, right? Because I'm the CEO, and uh, and people know and we have an advantage at Kin. I. I have a unique communication style it's very informal and, and people sort of know my voice and and we we have a channel in slack where we make fun of the phishing attempts uh, because they're they just don't they don't sound at all like me uh, <laughs> but but there there are a lot and you know it reflects the fact that insurance more than many is uh, is a purely virtual good and so you have a lot of money fl- and there's a lot of money in it right there's a lot of money flowing through these pipes at any time uh, you know, before this, I, p- I founded a payments company, and we were like ground zero for phishing attacks and every other sort of exploit that you could imagine. Because you know, if you can get permissions for five seconds, you can move millions of dollars. Insurance isn't quite as extreme, but there is a lot of money flowing. It is a purely virtual good, and it, it makes us a really big target. Uh, and, and this is an arms race we'll be fighting forever. This is uh, if there's money there, people are going to try and get at the money, uh, and and we'll all need to collectively invest to ensure that, you know, we're, we're not going to get exploited.
1: Uh, that's a great segue. Sabine, again, um, our, our history, I can think of a whole load of folks from Zagora to a whole load of others where we saw hundreds of insure tech startups in the uh, cyberspace more broadly trying to protect, protect us all from this. Have you seen that grow during, during the pandemic or is it more the existing folks just doubling down on the effort that they've got already?
4: I would say from an tech viewpoint, it's probably the doubling down, um, because a lot of those techs are focusing on SMEs. And so um, a lot of insurers are still evaluating or reevaluating their small and medium enterprise or business proposition right now, um, whether that include freelancer and gig economy workers. And I'm sure next year is going to be back uh, on track. But what you're actually talking about is probably a different type of cybersecurity. So when you look at it from the startup or the insurtech, they are doing fine, right? Um, they are doing well, but they are not doing extraordinary um you know they are not going outside the uh, the, the the scale because of the market they are focusing on now the organizations which are doing well are probably cyber security you know hardcore cyber security organization um the cybersecurity market, I believe, is around, I think, 11,000 companies. Um, can't remember how many have been invested in, but I remember looking at the numbers recently. And this is a 90 billion investment market to date. And the market is still done very well this year. I think it's 12 or 13 billion has been invested in cybersecurity solutions. And so what, what you are looking for when you look at insurance company, they are looking at a phishing solution and malware solutions. Not the insure tech solution. So they are going to to look for tech relevant for insurance. And that I think is a very important shift.
2: Uh, Anthony, you're waving away. Jump in. No, um... I had a really good story about how uh, a legacy carrier can work with a uh, an insure tech on modeling out this new type of risk. Back in 2012, believe it or not, when I was working at a carrier, uh, we were in corporate venture capital. We invested or worked with a company called Co3 Systems, who was at the time uh, an insure tech. And what they were doing was uh, modeling out your entire response plan from a cyber event. And it was a really new peril back then. And so when What it allowed us to do uh, as an insurance company was really, you know, to to Sean's point earlier, of understanding the cost, understanding the risk and what it takes to to pay uh, that comes from a cyber risk. It really allowed the, the insurance company I was working for to understand that peril, understand that emerging risk so that they could then refine their pricing better and more accurately, and also provide their insurers with a, with a response tool should they have ever been uh, hacked so that it could actually reduce their claim. Uh, and this was yeah, this was done with, in, with a legacy carrier, but it's really using that innovation from an tech, bringing in that knowledge to a legacy carrier. And it was, it was actually very quite uh, successful.
4: One, one thing I wanted to add is now, if you look at insurance and some of the insurers conversation I've had recently, the problem actually from earth working from home and in, um, and the, the issue around cyber is that, uh, we, when we work at home, we have a habits. And so imagine, you know, you're working from your home office and your computer and then you are working on, um, insurance stuff where you have to print, for instance, uh, a claim or a document from a customer or a, 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 pa- a patient or a claimant. The problem is the transfer to your own printer. So the cyber occur between the devices we use at home. And a lot of insurers had to think about our home working habits and see how they can mitigate the risk of cyber. Um, by you know helping us understand where the risk may occur
1: it, it always feels to me that it, it, as, as as you guys said it's going to be a never-ending battle a never-ending fight i i can tell you no end of stories of things i've received internally inside the firm uh, or even what i was made aware of where a iphone charging cable had hardware built into it to actually crack your device or or, or whatever it was, steal steal your details. So it always feels that they're super smart and a, a step ahead of us. With that, let's take a quick break and we'll be back very soon.
0: We've just launched two brand new shows on our LinkedIn page. And if you love our podcast, you should go and check them out. Every Tuesday, we deep dive into the biggest banking and fintech news stories with our show Newsroom. We've already had great episodes on the FinCEN Files leak and the Crowdcube and Cedars merger that you can watch back on our LinkedIn or YouTube now. And every Thursday, we speak to experts in technology and financial services about the work that they do and their careers to date. MLB isn't just another hard-to-remember acronym. It stands for Minimum Lovable Brand, the 11FS approach to creating modern, iterative brands to help cut through the noise and create a genuine connection with customers and their culture. Brand is everything in this digital first world, and we want to help you get it right. To learn more about Minimum Lovable Brand and to download our free handbook, head to bit.ly forward slash 11FSMLB.
1: So we're back. And next up, I'm excited to share this one because, frankly, this is probably the most well-talked about or one of the most well-talked about in InsurTechs that is one of the leading lights for us all because we're, I think we're all in this together, and that is Lemonade. And it launched its renters insurance in France. So uh, launching in France, marking the company's third European launch after Netherlands and Germany, And this would mean it will compete directly with a local competitor called Luco, which shares lots of similarities. Interestingly, I think on the same day, Luco uh, raised 50 million euros in their series B. So it's obviously saying something like the market is ready for renters insurance. Come help us out. Lemonade, for those that have used it, is supposed to be easier to sign up with compared to a legacy insurance company and also wants to bring back trust by taking a flat fee for its operations. France is known as a lucrative market for home insurance, as it is a legal requirement there to have it with a high tenant turnover. There are many, many opportunities to jump in and convince customers to switch to Lemonade when people move to their new place. So, Sabine, let's start with you. What do you think? Lemonade finally starting to conquer Europe?
4: Yeah, but, you know, it's not surprising. Um, It's... um consumer centric proposition. So, um, for me, you know, they are going to go into more countries across Europe. And I guess France was the next stop. So not, not, not surprising. What I think is interesting about the eliminate proposition though, you know, as we know, fully digitized, as you mentioned, Luca, uh, raising money now because the local investors realize that they actually need to take care of their investment, which is good. Um, because sometimes French investors are a bit slow to realizing that they need to do something to protect their investment. So
0: I you think. You can say that.
4: <laughs> yes, I can say that knowing my portfolio and, um, you know, some of the great investors they have on their, on their, on their, cap table. But the interesting thing, I think with, um, with lemonade is the scale across Europe and then, um, it's is beyond insurance right it's about um for sure the digital proposition it's about uh the caring for the consumer it's i think that customer at the at the center you know that behavioral econometrics that um daniel talks about all the time when he's on podcast or when he writes and i think it would be interesting because often we don't always uh, in France being française um Understand that so some of the techniques we've learned around the world could be so influential in our own, you know, French market. So I, I wish them good luck, actually, in France. But what I think is more important to me is that you know, uh, disruptors are now expanding across Europe, which is very important. And then investors need to start waking up because when you look at the ratios between investment that. Companies and, you know, Lemonade is not invested now, it's ipo but when you look at the investment they got at the core to become who they are today, they got a lot of funding uh, in Europe. You know, most of the startup get less than one tenth of this type of investment to actually achieve the outcome.
1: We, we see that. Sh- Sean, are you going to start following suit, jump on a plane at, when, when we're allowed to and, and head to Europe?
3: No, no. Uh, I think it's really, it's an interesting one and it speaks to the fact that Lemonade uh, went after a very small market. Uh, you know, they they are primarily a renters insurance company. And renters is a pretty small market uh, in the United States, which was you know their their first country. Uh, you know, if you want to build a big company in renters insurance, uh, it you know you're going to need to be have a much wider geographic footprint. And you see that they're in a lot of states. They're now in a few different countries. You know, I think people that are focused on the larger lines. You like us in homeowners, or uh, you know, route or Metro Mile in in auto. uh, You don't need to be in as many markets because some of them are very large. You know, just to use an example, the homeowners insurance market in uh, Florida is orders of magnitudes larger than the renters insurance market in all of Europe.
1: Wow. Well, I, I I think I recall from the last release, I saw the average premium on renters is roughly around 60 bucks a year. When you compare it to life insurance, which they're trying to break into cycle insurance in, in the Netherlands, I think. So it's an, it's an interesting move. Anthony, I've always said that maybe I'm wrong. If Lemonade were to open up their tech stack and sell it to insurers, they'd go after the likes of you or Guidewire or... Uh, socotra or any of the platform plays out there, do you see that as a future threat or something that you worry about today? Uh,
2: I see a little bit of it uh, happening. I think when, uh, I think as as these insured techs get into the market and look to sell the insurance uh, and they have a great technology stack and, and they're struggling to actually be an insurance company and be profitable as an insurance company, as as is the challenge with lemonade, right? I mean, they're, uh, I think they're, they're, uh, they're struggling there on, on profitability. Uh, they're, they're finding that, yeah, customer acquisition is good, but their retention rate is really low. Uh, their model is predicated on these renters then growing up and buying homeowners insurance, and they have less than a 10% conversion rate there. So, I mean, the, it's the, it doesn't look all that great. And, you know, from their marketing perspective, it costs them, uh, I, I read the It cost them uh, uh, a dollar for every dollar in marketing to get $2 in premium. And that premium doesn't include the losses. Uh, so, I mean, it's really a tough business to be in. Uh, and so what I've been finding with a lot of insure techs like that is that they're now also thinking of uh, licensing their platforms and partnering with the insurance companies and then having the revenue stream in that direction. But then it gets into this really weird model. Are you a competitor? Are you a partner? Uh, what are you going to do? What are you going to be when you grow up? Uh, so I, I see it. I see them exploring that they you know starting an insurance company coming into the software side. I'm not worried about it from the software side because like I said we have the same technologies uh, you know as these as these insured tech uh, uh, companies uh, a lot of the other players should be worried about that if that is the case.
3: I think I've got a different take on it. Uh, the, one of the fundamental issues is that legacy insurance companies are bad with technology, and that includes developing their own and consuming it. So as an enterprise software company, it's actually, I think, even harder. You know, just to use EIS as the example, this is a company that's existed for a lot longer than Lemonade and is smaller than Lemonade. So there are difficulties in doing an enterprise software business as well, especially when you have customers who have like, you know, five-year-plus adoption cycles. And then the other issue is that uh, in addition to being bad consumers of technology, because it takes them a long time to do something new, it, they also, uh, one thing I've noticed is in legacy insurance companies believe they have all of these idiosyncratic needs. And that causes you to have to develop software for them that is uh, very, very, very customizable, and, which, which is okay. But you end up making a lot of trade-offs. So you end up with something that's much harder to maintain and is much less specialized in, and good at what it is. So I am I, very skeptical of the idea. I could imagine, I could not imagine Lemonade or us, for that matter, uh, allowing our stack to be used by another by, by another insurance company because the number of sacrifices that we would need uh, to make in our product to make it a useful product for these for these legacy insurance companies is really really significant. It would actually d- remove a lot of the benefits that we have which is that we built something that's very specifically useful for us and for our customers and is extraordinarily efficient. Uh, so I, I, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, you know, I would also say like insurance, more than many businesses, is inherently a software business because it's a purely virtual good. There is no physical component to what they're selling. So if you take out the software, if you take out the technology, what exactly is an insurance company? Well, for the most part, they're not customer acquisition companies because they outsource that too. They outsource it to the agent. So if they're a tech-slash-servicing-slash-software company and they're outsourcing that, okay, fine. There's one more thing. Well, what are they then? They're just a balance sheet. Uh, and and there is a lot of capital out there to replicate the balance sheet. It's really inherently an undifferentiated value proposition. So I I don't think that's going to happen.
1: Sean, you have given me a perfect segue for my next story. And your your comments there are playing in an article I've had half-written for about six months so we'll definitely get you back on to talk about that that could be a whole show in itself because i think we have some very interesting uh perspectives on that i will move on because you raised an interesting point about capital um we will be quick on this one but i wanted to share you know get safe has just raised 30 million euro uh, sorry 30 million dollars in a series b round and to your point on capital um what I found really interesting on this was the funding round was led by Swiss Re, IPT, IQ, uh, and the capital will be used to build on GetSafe's position in the German market, as well as expand into other European spaces. Uh, they launched their first digital car insurance product with GetSafe app in November, and it's also applied for a property and cash insur- insurance license from the Federal Financial Supervisory Authority earlier this year. So here we have, to your point, new capital, reinsurance, technology, and another discrete market. So, I wonder where, where do we start on this? Do we go? Do are we saying? And I've long been a believer of many of these companies will be successful in their own market and will find it hard to break out. So, get safe. Here we go again into Germany. Going to do more and more stuff beyond beyond that space. Is there a perspective from the from the team on that? Sean, do you want to go? I mean, this is
3: just the tip of the iceberg. You know, even if you look at the large amount of funding that's happened you know, over the last few years for insure tech, it's insurance still under, under indexes relative to other industries uh, in terms of tech investment, especially so when you compound the fact that it is an inherently digital good, like I was talking about before. You know, one really interesting thing about insurance, too, is that it is a business that uh, has a lot of capital in it. So it's easier, you know, if you compare it to like food, food, for example, you know, your average like food company doesn't have billions of dollars sitting around. But your average insurance company actually does. Right. So it's actually easier for them to fund some of these, uh, you know, especially if you think about this is an interesting one, Swiss Re, you know, they're not a primary insurer. they're They're a reinsurer. And so if they think that new tech companies can fulfill that part of the value chain, the origination and servicing part better than the legacy primary carriers, they're going to fund it all the time because it's just a new channel for them uh, and they can provide the balance sheet. They can fund and make money off of the, the upstart uh, servicer and acquirer. Uh, and it's and it's really a great deal for them. I mean, go ahead.
1: Sabine, jump in.
4: Yeah. So for me, you know, when you look at the trends, right, right? Um, to free reinsure going into primary a little bit like Minigree did with MiniCre Digital Partners. So I think if is the platform allowing that access to the consumer, as we know earlier this year as well, they did some work with IKEA to get access to the market. Um, what is happening here as well for me is uh, do to to start um, signaling that um, you know you can start accessing other market segment. And I think MTQ is the platform and that platform is not just going to go for us buying our IKEA kit. It's going to go for a lot of other things in the future. And so how are you actually getting that new customer? You know, the new version I think of what I call the digital partner, virtual access to consumer through the startup being the virtual brokers. But I think um, when you look at where, where the market is, is also realizing that, you and I, as consumers, we have choices to make. And even though, though we buy insurance, we um, are not that stupid and we are going to um, buy insurance, which makes sense to us. So a little bit what Sean was saying earlier around that customer centricity and that need to understand um that customer need and you know that customer journey so that we can start doing the things we love talking about uh nigel friction-free uh insurance and embedded goods and services where it needs to be uh, i think that is part of what is happening here uh, insurers um as we know in many european markets i mean probably less so now in you in in the uk is inherently dependent on the agent uh, channel. So we, you know, insurers do not really understand always their customer and the consumer. So um, that's what some of those platforms are. And, and
1: and the point about Germany, do you think this is going to jump outside the German market much? Do you think it's got the opportunity to do so?
4: Um, I, I, I I would probably stick it to, to Germany for Get Safe at the minute personally. Um, because it is a German uh, startup. I think they may try to learn, uh, from, you know, France and other European market. Um, but it might be, for example, harder in, uh, in, in the UK market. As we know, it's much more, um, friction, you know, it's friction full market, but you know, we are fighting for every dollars or every pounds we are making from insurance in, in our market yeah. here in London in the UK.
1: T- Tony, I'm going to go. I came back to you with a mad idea, Tony. Why don't you go partner with a reinsurer, plug it into your cool technology, and go compete with all these guys? Let's go set it up. We're ready. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think there's a reason,
3: right? Like, I'm not, I don't want to throw unnecessary shade at you, Tony, but like, there aren't, there's a reason why the. Notable full stack carriers in inter- like Lemonade, like Root, like Get Safe, like us are not using some of the legacy uh, you know core systems that have existed for ten years or more, and that's because it is a core part of their value proposition, uh, and and they can do it better.
2: So, you know, respectfully uh, disagree with you, uh, Sean, and, and I agree with you 95% of, of what you said about the market, um, but we actually have uh, insurtechs that are uh, bigger than um, Kin, that are bigger than uh, a lot of these companies that we're talking about that actually are using our, our platform um and uh and then what it allows them to do is have the core business be on technology that's just like theirs and then they can focus on the differentiation so like you said with an insurance company well it's a You know, it's a a balance sheet, you called it, Uh, but our companies are actually calling themselves tech companies and all that core business. They don't have to worry about it. They know they can connect and they can build on top of it and build those experiences. And then they focus on their differentiators and not just be that faceless insurance company. So, Sean, it is different from what you're describing. but There
1: are companies like you. There is nothing I love more than two passionate individuals or three passionate individuals, sorry, Sabine, that love our industry, as, as was said earlier. So the more the more we have that want to go change this thing bit by bit, uh, the better, I say. One of my uh, disappointment moments last week was I asked the lady in the States, who's your insurance company? And her answer was, I don't know. I just don't care enough. I'm like, ah! That's okay,
3: so, though. There's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's actually what she wants, right? The... You know, there there are things that, that should fade into the background. You ask who's your, you know, gas company. Well, I don't care, but the gas comes every single day and, and I pay a good price for it. Uh, I, I don't know that insurance is necessarily that different or, or should be, right? Like if the user wants it to just be reliable and fade into the background and, and be efficient and we can deliver that, I think that's okay.
1: Yeah, one of my favourites with Sabine is Simon Torrance around, embedded and in invisible insurance. We've talked about it for years. The regulator kills me for this because if there's certain European regulations that don't allow you to do some of this sort of stuff. If there's some interest, maybe a whole different show. Sabine, we get you back on, and maybe Simon and we go talk about that because I think it's a it's a fascinating topic that addresses exactly that, Sean, around how we make it interesting and always there, but not necessarily uh, front and centre.
4: But one thing that Sean said, though Nigel, is that customer centricity. So when you look at Lemonade, when you look at Keen, when you look at some of those propositions, Laka, um, it's focusing on a very specific segment and they being so key and clean around that segment that your technology and your customer engagement, your proposition makes complete sense end to end and so your differentiation and your ability to launch new product and services is very quick and your brand in those case you know our cool brand names make sense to the consumer which means that when you look at um, the legacy incumbent provider we may want to copy i'm going to use the word copy um, they can't do it as well because they are coping and they need to actually understand what their strengths are. What Anthony was saying is all about core competencies and actually keeping what you do very well inside and maybe things you are doing less well, you know, by using insure techs or other techs. That is about understanding that balance. And I think insurers today are trying to work out what they are good at and maybe what they should outsource.
1: As I read on LinkedIn the other day, I learned a new word today, a plagiarism. Uh, And with that, I think I'll go back to your original point about people focusing on niches. And our last story of the day is from our good friends over at Flock. So Ed, Anton and the team. Um, Flock, who are famous and beautifully branded for uh, their drone insurance launched back in 2016 uh, with customers including the BBC and NHS uh, in earlier this week, last week launched Flock Motor, a commercial motor division, which will launch a range of flexible insurance products for connected motor fleets. The vehicle-based policy is priced on the size and safety of a fleet, and our usage-based policy is priced on the number of miles a fleet drives. Ahead of the launch, Flock partnered with insurance carriers, including um, NIG, and one of its first customers is Elmo, an electric car subscription business, someone I didn't actually know about beforehand and checked them out. And they're actually really, really interesting. Um, so so I started to joke with Ed on this. Is this like flying cars because you've got drones and cars together? Uh, but no, wh- where do we even start with this one? Is, is, is there room in the market for another connected car uh, insurance provider that can leverage the data in the same way they've learned from super accurate drone flights?
2: Tony, you want to go first? Why? Why? <clears throat> why wouldn't there be uh I, I don't see a lot of commercial uh, fleets leveraging uh, their data using it and underwriting it using it in ways that um, that are going to be priced on a per mile basis i mean there when you when you talk this is it's a fascinating story because your underwriting for a fleet is completely different from obviously underwriting from a drone but even underwriting for a a, a single auto where you're going to pay pay by the mile i mean there's so much more to a fleet that goes on than just the distance that they drive. Uh, And so just the underwriting, the billing, the claims aspect, everything is so different from from what uh, Flock has done in drone. But the concept, the concept is there, being able to pay as you use at a fleet level. And, you know, back to the story of when I used to work at a carrier doing innovation, one of the innovations that we did was, it was for commercial auto and, we had these great seasonal customers like landscapers and so on and so forth. They were fantastic customers, really safe, proven customers, but they would leave every winter, uh, when the, when the weather changed, because why would they continue to pay? They parked the vehicle. So we were going to use, uh, telematics to identify that the vehicle hasn't moved in weeks and months and just, you know, adjust the premium that way. But. You know, it was a great idea, but albeit for the legacy systems, couldn't be changed in time to, to <laughs> be able to do that. <laughs> uh, and I haven't seen since then, I haven't seen a, uh, a, a telematics program like this targeted to fleets. I, I mean, I, I'm going to cheer for them. I think it's a great idea. Yeah, there, about- there are a couple of guys
3: doing this and it's, you know, it is inevitable. Right. the The thing that's making or one thing that's making a lot of this possible is that the linkage between the online and offline world is becoming established. you know with sensors and imagery and uh, it's very easy now to know a lot more about things going on in the physical world, which is really important to insurance companies. It's you know it, all cars are going to be connected. all trucks are going to be connected. Uh, you know it would be, really kind of crazy if that data were not used for insurance underwriting. So it's, it's inevitable from my point of view. I,
1: I, I'm with you there. You mentioned all trucks and all cars and whatever else. What about all homes, given you're in the homeowner space, all homes Absolutely. connected?
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. A hundred percent. I mean, I'm like surrounded by, I'm in my kitchen. I see like 12 connected devices around me. Uh, Hopefully my locks all cyber are connected. Protected, right? Protected. I, I don't know. I mean, I have these digital locks, but I leave my door unlocked. So I, I, I don't know. Uh, but, but you know, my insurance company could conceivably know that I leave my door unlocked. Uh, and, and I think that might be useful information to them, I probably.
1: Well, one question I was going to ask you, Sean, given this is a business that you run as well, how easy is it to take one product and shift entirely to a new area? I guess if the core platform to Anthony's perspective is flexible, you've got the ability to do that, but is, what's involved in doing something like that?
3: I think it's extremely hard. Uh, and and you know seeing them switch, I, I don't really know anything about the company that you're you're referencing, but I think drone insurance is probably a pretty small market. Uh, they're looking around for you know it's a, it's a big shift, right? And if drone insurance were a big market, they probably just would have kept on doing drone insurance. Uh, given that it's pretty small, they look for something bigger. Uh, which which in this case, it sounds like commercial auto. I you know it, it, it's a lot uh, to, to do a completely different insurance product, both from a tech perspective, but also like from a marketing and team and actuarial and pricing perspective, these are all real things. Uh, you know, I, I, think it, you know, if you can, it's best to pick a market that's really big and go after that and just dominate it. Uh, you know, if it turns out to be smaller than you thought, then you got to pivot and that's what startups do. And that's what's, that's, what's great about having startup activity in the industry is, is, you know, the ability to pivot.
1: Yeah, I think they've. I think they've got a great team um, on the ground with Kristen and, and Caroline and Anton on the team. We 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 love them in the UK. Um, they've built, a, as I said, an, an amazing brand. And maybe what we see in some of the pivots is actually the test and learn is done in the first place to prove the technology. And if you get if you get that level of detail out of a drone and a flight and the weather, then you can do other stuff with it. The the last one, if I can finish with 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 you, Simon, if you don't mind, is. Actually, they introduced me to Elmo, and I'm going to read this out for you because you're going to love this and just smile, right? But Elmo is um, only an electric car for as long as you want it, no deposit to pay, flexible contract lengths. And are you ready? Insurance maintenance breakdown included. So it goes back to our embedded story, right? And Absolutely. A it sounds to like
4: it. our embedded story is being offered here. Like it is, I think people don't realize or people do know it's, it's being happening with the big tech already, whether you think, I mean, I've been having to, to break down some of the business model, of some of the big tech, like Apple, those guys are already doing that. Right. And so, what you find is it's not new. It's, it's going to be a little bit different and it's all about what Sean and Anthony just mentioned around customer market access, you know, the size of the market. So if you look at Apple, which, ha- which has 1.5 billion users, average device 2.6. Uh, um, device per individual. And then you want to offer cyber insurance like Allianz is doing um, or uh, health insurance, such as some of the uh, leading um, US insurers are doing with Apple. Then you start embedding interesting things into your Apple devices.
1: Well, that is a fantastic way to finish the show. Sabine, Uh, Sean, Anthony, fantastic for you joining me. Thank you very much. Where can our listeners find out more about you? Uh, Sabine?
4: Well, you know me, LinkedIn,
1: Twitter. (laughs) If you don't know Sabine, where have you been for the last 80 episodes? Uh, Sean, what about yourself?
2: Uh, Kim.com. And Anthony? Uh, I'm LinkedIn, of course. And then uh, for EIS, it's EISgroup.com.
1: And you can find me on Twitter at Nigel Walsh. Thank you again to all of our guests this week. As always, you can find the show on Twitter at Instec Insiders. And if you like what you've heard this week, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. And if you've loved it, send it to someone else. It's amazing the number of people I still get saying to me, I've just heard your podcast for the first time. I'm like, where have you been? Uh, If you have any suggestions or feedback, please reach out on Twitter or email podcasts at 11fs.com. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.